Dispensing wisdom, inciting awesomeness, scaling joy. Welcome to the Mojo Studios podcast, serving up bite-sized doses of delicious and nutritious insight and inspiration intended to ignite your mojo within and add fuel to the fire of your life, your relationships, your work, and your contribution to the world. It's time to turn down the deluge of distractions and put yourself in a mindset of receptivity and growth. Absorb, digest, apply, repeat, dinner is served. The reason I'm recording while I drive is intentional. It's because life really, it's a journey. I've been wrestling a lot with this, the progression in our lives or the hopeful progression in our lives that we go from me. We start with me. This is the way life works. We start with me as a baby. All we're concerned about is I need to be fed, I need to be changed, you know, I need to be held. And we'll let the world know without even using words and somehow we communicate, ah, help me. And hopefully our parents step in and love loved ones around us and, and they do that. Um, and so that becomes a very comforting, safe place. But eventually our family grows and we have siblings or we're at least we're aware of the fact that we share space with our parents and the bigger the family the more obvious it is that it's not can't always be about me all the time and if i make it all about me all the time then i'm really not <laughs> not really liked very much for the people around me so we go from me to we sometimes we embrace it sometimes we're forced to it but it's a good progression it's it's an it's growth and we realize that the world isn't just me it's we so it's me and my parents me and my siblings it's me and my extended family and then as we get into school, it's me and my classmates. And then we get into to workspace and it's me and my, my colleagues, right? My team. Uh, and as I've heard it called recently, it's me and my tribe. So identify with people based on similar likes, similar values, and that becomes my tribe. And I feel really good in that tribe and I'm willing to share life with that tribe. But man, here's, here's the rub. If, if you don't look like me, you don't think like me, you don't believe like me, you don't have my same view, well, then you're not in my tribe. And so it's me, us, so I went from me to us, against you. It's uh, my tribe against your tribe. It's tribalism, really. So it doesn't necessarily look like formal tribalism, but it really is on a social and psychological and even a spiritual level. And this is the basis of divisiveness. It's the us versus them mentality. and. We come into most conversations with, well, do you believe what I believe? And, and if you don't, uh, I'm going to prove my point and either you're going to come over to my side or you're just going to always be on the enemy camp, right? And that's really not all that helpful. It's certainly not helpful in terms of mending or building bridges or embracing other people's worldview. And so I think the Bible is pretty clear that we have to go beyond just me, of course, to the we, which includes my family, my tribe. But then we got to get beyond that. This is this is the, probably the the third step and the hardest step in our growth, in our evolution as as people, as children of God, as humans with God's image stamped on us. Is that we got to realize that we all have stuff in common globally. We're all one tribe. I mean, the Bible's really clear. There's one faith. 
one baptism, one Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus himself says, I and the Father are one. And Christians tend, or at least in my experience, a lot of Christians tend to recoil against the idea of where we all are one. But it really is a biblical principle. And in fact, the very essence of being a human being means that I was made by God, as was everybody else that's ever lived on this planet, and I have been stamped somehow with the image of God. What God says in Genesis, I'm going to make male and female, and I'm going to make them in my image. Actually, the, the verse says, in our image, which is incredibly rich when you think about it, because God himself is saying, I am a relationship. Without humans, without anything I've created, it's God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So there is a relationship built into the very nature of God. And then he said, I'm making humans in our image, is what the Bible actually says. It's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. But he's saying that he, he, by his nature, is about relationships. And he's created man and women in his image for relationship with each other and with him. And then when that all breaks down, as it tends to do, some people call that sin, it could be selfishness, narcissism, however you want to define it. When that breaks down, God's like, that is not what I intended. That's not what I had. I had so much more in mind. So, such a greater plan for you, for you humans who are made in my image, right? And so he sends Jesus to reconcile, to fix, to mend uh, those broken relationships, both with ourselves, right? So we're often broken inside by abuse or, or neglect or self-image implodes. So we have to reconcile that to how does God see us rather than how do we see ourselves? And then take that into our relationships from me to we, and then really believe, truly believe, and act on the fact that we are all one. We are all God's family. We are all created in God's image. God loves us all, for God so loved the world. You know, it's, how in the world can we, in a practical sense, interpret for God so loved the world as for God so loved the Christians? That's not what it says. In fact, there wouldn't even be any Christians if God didn't love the whole world. We, <laughs> the Christians are the ones that are, who are embracing that and then realizing that we are part of God's family globally. It's not just me, it's not just we, my tribe, who has the same label as me, but it's we, it's all of us, it's, it's the global family. And God wants to love us all. In fact, he can't do anything but love us all. And so this goes back to my, my message about labels, right? is that as soon as we label something, it certainly helps us understand it to some degree, but it's a very limiting way to look at the world because we all know that if you call something a plant, that is true, but if you get into it, if you really get closer and you, you start to deconstruct it and see all the richness behind it, you realize plant is just a, a very simplistic and limiting term for all of the amazing things that go on inside of it, right? Uh, and I think that's true of humans, right? As soon as we are more so and more dangerous, you put a label on a human and already you've limited the infinite nature of them uh, and kind of tried to constrain this this uh, imago Dei, which is the Latin for image of God stamped on humanity. So I'm, I'm always wrestling with this and pressing back against it. And God, help, help me to see myself, help me to see my family, help me to see my tribe, help me to see my world through your eyes, which which are love. God so loved the world. I had this great discussion with my friend Pete recently, and he said, 
he was listening to some author or a, a, a great Christian speaker, and, he, and the speaker was talking about how, you know, there's, there's a couple of different ways that we come into our relationship with God and how we view our relationship with God. And one is a, a typically Western view that we're all sinners, that we need a Savior, um, and that, you know, we start with, oh, woe is me, and what a worm am I, right? And and I need God to to fix me, right? And, and there is a lot of truth to there. The Bible says we've all sinned and come short of God's glory, and that God wants to restore that glory in us. But then there's a more Eastern view, uh, and I'm talking about uh, a religious view, but more the Eastern part of the world, that come at God from a very different starting place. They come at, at God with, I am, as a human, I am beautiful, I am limitless, I am transcendent, I am made in God's image, um, but I haven't figured out yet how to release all of that. I haven't figured out how to access it. Um, and so they come at God from a totally different point where they realize that God has made me to be transcendent and it's his image in me that has been constrained and has been marred and broken and you know it's like a mirror that's been cracked and so you can't see clearly and they come up with okay so I want to I want to reach my full potential the potential that God has built into me knowing full well that that's what God wants to and through his love and through my relationship with him I will reach the more limitless nature of who I am but according to the Bible both are true this Western and Eastern mindset are true to some degree it's not either or which is where we start all of our discussions or tend to it's it's both and that God does love us and has created us with unlimited access to him so Jesus himself tells his disciples you've seen all the miracles I've done including raising Lazarus from the dead and so I'm going to send you out and my spirit, the Holy Spirit, will be with you and greater things than these you will do. <laughs> you know, as, as a Christ follower, as a young kid, I'm like, what? Are you serious? You, greater than what Jesus has done. How is that even possible, right? You know, Jesus said to Peter when he stepped out of the boat and started to sink, he said, oh, you've, you've little faith. Uh, if you look at the passage really closely, uh, Simon Peter, when he, he recognizes Jesus walking across the water, he says, you know, call to me, Lord, and I'll come to you. <laughs> he's, the, he's the bold one. I can identify with this. And Jesus says, okay, come. So Peter steps out of the boat into the lake, and <laughs> before long, the Bible says he starts to see the wind and the waves more than he sees Jesus and starts to sink. And of course, Jesus reaches down and rescues him, but says, oh, you've little faith. And, and I don't think now, I don't think Jesus was chiding him, saying, you failed again. He was saying, that's a good first step, but you got a long way to go. And I want your faith to grow. Right now, you've got a little bit, but there's so much more, right? And I'm wrestling with this idea of us being made in God's image and how, what does that really mean? And, and how does that apply to my life? What, what are the implications of that? Since it is true, if I can wrap my mind and my heart around it and let the Holy Spirit illuminate this truth, then there is some potential inside of me to 
being able to do miraculous things. God has said this. Jesus himself promised this. And I'm like, well, I, if, if that's true, I, that's what, I want that, right? When God created all these things, God created the heavens and the earth, uh, he came to humans. He, he created humans last. Saved the best for last, you could say. And But there's something about when he created humans that set humans apart from all of the rest of the creation. And that's what I've hinted at already, the imago dei, the stamp of God's image. Theologians have wrestled with this idea and continue to. What does that mean when God says, I'm creating humans in my image? He didn't say that about any of the rest of the creation, right? And so I started thinking about this in terms of, of a, an, an investigative reporter. What, what is it about that? And for a reporter, the questions that you usually try to answer when you're writing a story is who, what, where, when, how. And here's, here's where I think God set humanity apart from all the rest of creation is that we can see in nature that animals are able to figure out with the intelligence that God has given them who, what, where, when, and how. Uh, we see that all over creation, and it's it's really remarkable. But I don't think, I haven't seen any evidence that the animal kingdom can answer the question, why? In fact, that's probably one of the things that sets humanity apart from all of creation, is that we too can wrestle and investigate and figure out who, what, where, when, and how. Science does a great job of that, right? But answering the question why, that's that's a question that has been reserved for humans. You don't see any of plants or the animals sitting around wrestling with why do I exist? Why do things happen the way they happen? They they learn, they grow, they adjust, they evolve, but they, they don't wrestle with why. And humans do. And so I'm thinking, well, there's something really rich and important there that if God sets humanity apart from the rest of creation, part of that is being able to ask and wrestle with and decide why. Why am I here? Why do I do what I do? Why should I? Why should I not? Why are they? You know, why is such an important question. And I, I'm even coming to this conclusion that why is, it's a superpower. Like there's, there's a supernatural imprint that God created us with the ability to ask why and no, no, nothing else in creation can do that. So it's, it is our superpower. So I started thinking the, the power of why. <laughs> My daughter, she's, she's priceless, uh, precious, and she asks the question why all the time. Hey dad, why is it like this? And I'll explain why. Well, why? And I'll give an answer and her question back is why? And it's not because she's being obstinate or trying to irritate me, although sometimes I don't have patience for it, is that she wants to know. And every why comes with an answer which leads to another question, which brings it deeper and broadens her understanding. The question why is vital for understanding, right? Why is also a letter. It's not just a word, but it's also a letter. And it's shaped like, like crossroads, right? So you've got the two arms and then the stem and this really feeds into this whole idea of being able to choose making these choices especially on the why level so you're on a path and you come to a crossroads and then you can choose on instinct you can choose on you know head knowledge or what your heart is telling you whatever but you do get to choose 
to ask why. Why should I go left or right? And you know the famous poem about I, I came to this fork in the road in the woods and I chose the path less traveled and that's made all the difference. You don't see anything else in creation creating poetry like that <laughs> that, that really gets to the essence of our power to choose. Why is, is our superpower? It's a supernatural element that God has given us that reveals and can reveal uh, our purpose and our tie to God Almighty himself, who is Yahweh, starts with the Y. God's made us in his image. We get to ask the questions why. We get to wrestle with, with the most important question. Why am I here? Why should I follow God? Why should I believe that the Bible is true? Why should I care about what anybody else thinks? Why should I go from me to my tribe to a global? You know, if, if we wrestle with those questions, and especially if we wrestle with them with other people who are seeking the truth as well, come up with such a better place, uh, such better answers. But the Bible says there, there will come a day when the veil is going to be taken from our eyes. Right now, the Bible says we see God through like through a model, dim, opaque glass. <laughs> That's for our own protection. But one day we're going to see him face to face, which means at that point, we can handle it. That for eternity, we'll be in God's presence. The older I get, the more appealing heaven is, right? Because <laughs> I realize my time here is limited. My understanding is limited. But one day I'm going to fulfill everything that God has created me to be uh, in its complete fullness when I am with God for eternity. At the very end of each message, I want to be sure to challenge you to take this information, this inspiration hopefully, from just your ears and your head where you think about these concepts. Let it sink and I even pray that God will help you let it sink from your brain matter not to leave it, but to stay there, to marinate, but to also to sink down and to fill your heart so that it's both a mindset and a heart set. Um, but then not to just feed you, but let it to come out of you, to be filled to overflowing, the Bible would say, so that you can pour out your life, God's love to the world around you, and not just the ones that look like you, not just the ones that believe what you believe, not just the ones that you know are in your tribe, but to, to anybody and everybody. And sometimes we look at the us and them mentality as those are my enemies because they don't believe what I believe. Or they even persecute me on some level. And Jesus addresses that head on. He goes, yep. And you know what I say? This is a new way. Love your enemy. <laughs> Love your enemy. Love those who hate you. They persecute you. They, they belittle you. Um, and so the, we have no excuse. We can't make a good argument to keep the truth and the God's love to myself or even to my tribe because God says whether you view the rest of those people them as part of your tribe as aligning with your thoughts or not even if you categorize them or label them as enemies you're still not free from loving them because my love is for everyone God so loved the world you can love you can love even your enemies. Love God, love your neighbor, and the neighbor isn't necessarily the person that is like you, that looks like you, that thinks like you, that's part of your group. Love your neighbor is 
love even your enemy. So the Bible's ripe and rich with this challenge, not a judgment, but a challenge to embrace God's love. Let it transform your heart, transform your family, transform your team, transform your tribe, transform your organization, whatever that might be. But don't, don't let it stop there. Let God's love pour out, well up inside of you and pour out to everyone, everyone that you meet. I mean, the Bible says there's even a chance that when you're taking a cup of cold water to someone, metaphorically, there's something that they need that you have and you give it away without expecting anything in return, that there's a great reward in there. Sometimes the reward is just how you feel immediately afterwards. Like, man, that, that was a good thing. And I think there's a greater reward awaiting us uh, when we see Jesus face to face. So let, let all this challenge you, but don't stop there because if you don't take action, it's really just a meaningless waste of time. But let the transformation well up within you so that then you can take small, simple, but significant, sustainable steps that will get you to a better place that looks more like what God created you to be, a transcendent, supernatural, limitless being made in the image of God, asking the question why, worshiping the God whose name starts with why, making decisions when your crossroads are in front of you um, that are informed decisions that lead towards reconciliation, leads towards Jesus. If this episode was beneficial to you, be sure to pay it forward, sharing it with others who may need a boost as well. Until next time, dream big, start small, act now. Thank you for tuning in.